0: part 1 chapter 4 of little eve edgerton this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org little eve edgerton by eleanor hallowell abbott part 1 chapter 4 the Edgertons did not start for Melbourne the following day, nor the next, nor the next, nor even the next. In a head bandage much more scientific than a blue-ribboned petticoat, but infinitely less decorative, little Eve Edgerton lay imprisoned among her hotel pillows. Twice a day, and oftener if he could justify it, the village doctor came to investigate pulse and temperature never before in all his humdrum winter experience or occasional summer tourist badry had he ever met any people who prated of camels instead of motor-cars or deprecated the dust of abyssinia on their piccadilly shoes or sighed indiscriminately for the snow-tinted breezes of the klondike and ceylon never either in all his full round of experience had the village doctor had a surgical patient as serenely complacent as little eve edgarton or any anxious relative as madly restive as little eve edgarton's father for the first twenty-four hours of course mr edgarton was much too worried over the accident to his daughter to think for a moment of the accident to his railway and steamship tickets for the second twenty-four hours he was very naturally so much concerned with the readjustment of his railway and steamship-tickets, that he never concerned himself at all with the accident to his plans. By the end of the third twenty-four hours, with his first two worries reasonably eliminated, it was the accident to his plans that smote upon him with the fiercest poignancy. Let a man's clothes and togs vacillate as they will between his trunk and his bureau. Once that man's spirit is packed for a journey, nothing but journey's end can ever unpack it again with his own heart tuned already to the heart-throb of an engine his pale eyes focused squintingly toward expected novelties his thin nostrils half a sniff with the first salty scent of the far away mr edgarton whatever his intentions was not the most ideal of sick-room companions too conscientious to leave his daughter Too unhappy to stay with her, he spent the larger part of his days and nights pacing up and down like a caged beast between the two bedrooms. It was not till the fifth day, however, that his impatience actually burst the bounds he had set for it. Somewhere between his maple bureau and Eve's mahogany bed the actual explosion took place, and in that explosion every single infinitesimal wrinkle of brow, cheek, chin nose was called into play as if here at last was a man who intended once and for all to wring his face perfectly dry of all human expression eve pleased her father i hate this place i loathe this place i abominate it i despise it the flora is execrable. the fauna nil and as to the coffee the breakfast coffee Oh, ye gods, Eve, if we're delayed here another week, I shall die. Die, mind you, at sixty-two. With my life-work just begun, Eve, I hate this place. I abominate it. I de- Really? Mused little Eve Edgerton from her white pillows. Why, I think it's lovely. Eh? Demanded her father. What? It's so social, said little Eve Edgerton. Social? choked her father. As bereft of expression as if robbed of both inner and outer vision, little Eve Edgerton lifted her eyes to his. "'Why, two of the hotel ladies have almost been to see me,' she confided listlessly, "'and the chambermaid brought me the picture of her beau, and the hotel proprietor lent me a storybook, and Mr.' Social? snapped her father oh of course if you got killed in a fire or anything saving people's lives you'd sort of expect them to send you candy or make you some sort of a memorial conceded little eve edgarton unemotionally but when you break your head just amusing yourself why i thought it was nice for the hotel ladies to almost come to see me she finished without even so much as a flicker of the eyelids disgustedly her father started for his own room then whirled abruptly in his tracks and glanced back at that imperturbable little figure in the big white bed. Except for the scarcely perceptible hound-like flicker of his nostrils, his own face held not a whit more expression than the girl's. "'Eve,' he asked casually, "'Eve, you're not changing your mind, are you, about Noncanono? and John Elbertson?' "'Good old John Elbertson,' he repeated feelingly. "'Eve,' He quickened with a sudden sharpness. Surely nothing has happened to make you change your mind about Nankanono and good old John Albertson? Oh, no, father, said little Eve Edgerton. Indolently, she withdrew her eyes from her father's and stared off Nankanono Ward in a hazy geographical sort of a dream. Good old John Albertson. Good old John Albertson, she began to croon very softly to herself. Good old John Albertson, how I do love his kind brown eyes! How I do... Brown eyes? snapped her father. Brown? John Albertson's got the grayest eyes that I ever saw in my life. Without the slightest ruffle of composure, little Eve Edgerton accepted the correction. Oh, has he? she conceded amiably. Well, then, good old John Albertson, good old John Albertson, how I do love his kind gray eyes she began all over again palpably edgarton shifted his standing weight from one foot to the other i understood your mother he asserted a bit defiantly did you dear? i wonder mused little eve edgarton eh jerked her father still with a vague geographical dream in her eyes little eve edgarton pointed off suddenly toward the open lid of her steamer trunk Oh, my manuscript notes, father, please, she ordered almost peremptorily. John's notes, you know, I might as well be working on them while I'm lying here. Obediently from the tuzzled top of the steamer trunk, her father returned with a great batch of rough manuscript. And my pencil, please, persisted Lily Eve And my eraser. And my writing board. And my ruler. And my... Absent-mindedly, one by one, Edgerton handed the articles to her, and then sank down on the foot of her bed, with his thin-lipped mouth contorted into a rather mirthless grin. "'Don't care much for your old father, do you?' he asked, trenchantly. Gravely for a moment the girl sat studying her father's weather-beaten features. The thin hair, the pale shrewd eyes, the gaunt cheeks, the indomitable old young mouth— then a little shy smile flickered across her face and was gone again as a parent dear she drawled i love you to distraction but as a daily companion vaguely her eyebrows lifted as a real playmate against the starch white of her pillows the sudden flutter of her small brown throat showed with almost startling distinctness but as a real playmate she persisted evenly "'You're so intelligent, and you travel so fast. "'It tires me.' "'Whom do you like?' asked her father sharply. "'The girl's eyes were suddenly sullen again, "'bored, distrait, inestimably dreary. "'That's the whole trouble,' she said. "'You've never given me time to like anybody.' "'Oh, but Eve,' pleaded her father, Awkward as any schoolboy, he sat there fuming and twisting before this absurd little bunch of nerve and nerves that he himself had begotten. Oh, but Eve, he deprecated helplessly, it's the deuce of a job for a—for a man to be left all alone in the world with a—with a daughter. Really, it is. Already the sweat had started on his forehead— and across one cheek the old gray fretwork of wrinkles began to shadow suddenly. "'I've done my best,' he pleaded. "'I swear I have. Only I've never known how. "'With a mother, now,' he stammered, "'with a wife, with a sister, with your best friend's sister. "'You know just what to do. "'It's a definite relation, prescribed by a definite emotion. "'But a daughter, oh, ye gods, "'your whole sexual angle of vision changed.' A creature neither fish, flesh, nor fowl. Non-superior, non-contemporaneous, non-subservient. Just a lady, a strange lady. Yes, that's exactly it, Eve. A strange lady, growing eternally just a little bit more strange, just a little bit more remote every minute of her life. Yet it's so damned intimate all the time, he blurted out passionately all the time she's rowing you about your manners and your morals all the time she's laying down the law to you about the tariff or the turnips you're remembering how you used to scrub her in her first little blue-lined tin bath tub once again the flickering smile flared up in little eve edgarton's eyes and was gone again a trifle self-consciously she burrowed back into her pillows when she spoke her voice was scarcely audible Oh, I know I'm funny, she admitted conscientiously. You're not funny, snapped her father. Yes, I am, whispered the girl. No, you're not, reasserted her father with increasing vehemence. You're not. It's I who am funny. It's I who... In a chaos of emotion, he slid along the edge of the bed and clasped her in his arms. Just for an instant, his wet cheek grazed hers, then... All the same, you know, he insisted awkwardly. I hate this place. Surprisingly, little Eve Edgerton reached up and kissed him full on the mouth. They were both very much embarrassed. Why, why, Eve, stammered her father. Why, my little, little girl, why you haven't kissed me before since you were a baby. Yes, I have, nodded little Eve Edgerton. No, you haven't, snapped her father. Yes, I have, insisted Eve. Tighter and tighter, their arms clasped around each other. You're all I've got, faltered the man brokenly. You're all I've ever had, whispered leave Edgerton. Silently, for a moment, each according to his thoughts, sat staring off into far places. Then, without any warning whatsoever, the man reached out suddenly and tipped his daughter's face up abruptly into the light. Eve, he demanded, Surely you're not blaming me any in your heart because I want to see you safely married and settled with—with John Elbertson? Vaguely, like a child repeating a dimly understood lesson, little Eve Edgerton repeated the phrases after him. Oh no, father, she said, I surely am not blaming you in my heart for wanting to see me married and settled with— John Elbertson? Good old John Elbertson, she corrected painstakingly. With his hand still holding her little chin like a vise, the man's eyes narrowed to his further probing. Eve, he frowned, I'm not as well as I used to be. I've got pains in my arms, and they're not good pains. I shall live to be a thousand. But I, I might not. It's a rotten world, Eve, he brooded, and quite unnecessarily crowded, it seems to me, with essentially rotten people. Towards the starving and the crippled, and the hideously distorted, the world, having no envy of them, shows always an amazing mercy, and beauty, whatever its sorrows, can always retreat to the thick, protecting wall of its own conceit. But as for the rest of us, he grinned with a sudden convulsive twist of the eyebrow, God help the unduly prosperous, and the merely plain. From the former, always, envy like a wolf shall tear down every fresh talent, every fresh treasure they lift to their aching backs, and from the latter brutal neglect shall ravage away even the charm that they thought they had. It's a a rotten world, Eve, I tell you, he began all over again a bit plaintively, a rotten world, and the pains in my arms, I tell you, are not nice, distinctly not nice. Sometimes, Eve, you think I'm making faces at you but believe me it isn't faces that i'm making it's my heart that i'm making at you and believe me the pain is not nice before the sudden wines in his daughter's eyes he reverted instantly to an air of semi-jocosity so under all existing circumstances little girl he hastened to affirm you can hardly blame a crusty old codger of a father for preferring to leave his daughter in the hands of a man whom he positively knows to be good than in the hands of some casual stranger who, just in a negative way, he merely can't prove isn't good. Oh, Eve, Eve, he pleaded sharply, you'll be so much better off, out of the world, you've got infinitely too much money and infinitely too little self-conceit to be happy here. They would break your heart in a year, but at Nonconono, he cried eagerly, oh, Eve, think of the peace of it, just white beach and a blue sea. The long, low, endless horizon, and John will make you a garden, and women, I have often heard, are very happy in a garden, and—' Slowly, Levi Edgerton lifted her eyes again to his. "'Has John got a beard?' she asked. "'Why, why, I'm sure I don't remember,' stammered her father. "'Why, yes, I think so. Why, yes, indeed, I dare say.' "'Is it a grayish beard?' "'asked Little Eve Edgerton. "'Why, why, yes, I shouldn't wander,' admitted her father. "'And reddish?' persisted Little Eve Edgerton. "'And longish? "'As long as,' illustratively with her hands, "'she stretched to her full arm's length. "'Yes, I think perhaps it is reddish,' conceded her father. "'But why?' "'Oh, nothing,' mused Little Eve Edgerton. Only sometimes at night I dream about you and me landing at Nonkonono, and John in a great big long reddish-gray beard always comes crunching down at full speed across the hermit crabs to meet us, and always just before he reaches us he, he trips on his beard and falls headlong into the ocean, and is drowned. Why, what an awful dream, deprecated her father. Awful? queried Lily Edgerton. Ha! It makes me laugh. All the same, she affirmed definitely, good old John Albertson will have to have his beard cut. Quizzically, for an instant, she stared off into space, then quite abruptly she gave a quick funny little sniff. Anyway, I'll have a garden, won't I? she said. And always, of course, there will be Henrietta. Henrietta? frowned her father my daughter explained little eve edgarton with dignity your daughter snapped edgarton oh of course there may be several conceded little eve edgarton but henrietta i'm almost positive will be the best one so jerkily she thrust her slender throat forward with a speech her whole facial expression seemed suddenly to have undercut and stunned her father's always father she attested grimly With your horrid old books and specimens, you have crowded my dolls out of my steamer-trunk. But never once, her tightening lips hastened to assure him, have you ever succeeded in crowding Henrietta and the others out of my mind. Quite incongruously, then, with a soft little hand, in which there lurked no animosity whatsoever, she reached up suddenly and smoothed the astonishment out of her father's mouth-lines. After all, father, she asked, now that we're really talking so intimately, after all, there isn't so specially much to life anyway, is there, except just the satisfaction of making the complete round of human experience, once for yourself, and then once again to show another person, just that double chance, father, of getting two original glimpses at happiness, one through your own eyes, and one, just a little bit dimmer, through the eyes of another? with merciless appraising vision the starving youth that was in her glared up at the satiate age in him you've had your complete round of human experience father she cried your first full untrammeled glimpse of all your heart's desires more of a glimpse perhaps than most people get from your tiniest boyhood father everything just as you wanted it just the tutors you chose and just the subjects you chose Everything then that American colleges could give you. Everything later that European universities could offer you. And then travel, and more travel, and more, and more, and then love, and then fame. Love, fame, and far lands. Yes, that's it exactly. Everything just as you chose it. So your only tragedy, father, lies, as far as I can see, in just little me because i don't happen to be i don't happen to like the things that you like the things that you already have had the first full joy of liking you've got to miss altogether your dimmer second-hand glimpse of happiness oh i'm sorry father truly i am already i sense the hurt of these latter years the shattered expectations the incessant disappointments you who have stared unblinkingly into the face of the sun robbed in your twilight of even a candle flame but father grimly despairingly but with unfalteringly persistence youth fighting with its last gasp for the rights of its youth she lifted her haggard little face to his but father my tragedy lies in the fact that at thirty i've never yet had even my first-hand glimpse of happiness and now apparently unless i'm willing to relinquish all hope of ever having it and consent to settle down as you call it with good old john albertson i'll never even get a gamble probably at sighting happiness second-hand through another person's eyes oh but eve protested her father nervously he jumped up and began to pace the room one side of his face was quite grotesquely distorted and his lean fingers thrust precipitously into his pockets, were digging frenziedly into their own palms. "'Oh, but, Eve,' he reiterated sharply, "'you will be happy with John. I know you will. John is a—John is a—Underneath all that slowness, that ponderous slowness, that—that—underneath that—that longish-reddish-grayish beard,' interpolated little Eve Edgerton glaringly for an instant the old eyes and the young eyes challenged each other and then the dark eyes retreated suddenly before not the strength but the weakness of their opponents oh very well father assented little eve edgarton only ruggedly the soft little chin thrust itself forth into stubborn outline again only father she articulated with inordinate distinctness you might just as well understand here and now I won't budge one inch toward Nankanono, not one single solitary little inch toward Nankanono. Unless at London, or Lisbon, or Odessa, or somewhere, you let me fill up all the trunks I want to, with just plain pretties, to take to Nankanono. It isn't exactly, you know, like a bride moving fifty miles out from town somewhere, she explained painstakingly. When a bride goes out to a place like Nankanono, it isn't enough, you understand, that she takes just the things she needs. What she's got to take, you see, is everything under the sun that she ever may need. With a little soft sigh of finality, she sank back into her pillows, and then struggled up for one brief instant again to add a postscript, as it were, to her ultimatum. If my day is over without ever having been begun, she said, why, it's over without ever having been begun, and that's all there is to it but when it comes to henrietta she mused henrietta's going to have five-inch hair ribbons and everything else from the very start eh frowned edgerton and started for the door and oh father called eve just as his hand touched the doorknob there's something i want to ask you for henrietta's sake it's rather a delicate question but after i'm married i suppose i shall have to save all my delicate questions to ask john "'And John somehow has never seemed to me particularly canny about anything except geology. "'Father,' she asked, "'just what is it that you consider so particularly obnoxious in—in young men? "'Is it their sins?' "'Sins?' jerked her father. "'Bah! it's their traits!' "'So?' questioned Little Eve Edgerton from her pillows. "'So? Such as what?' such as the pursuit of woman snapped her father the love not of woman but of the pursuit of woman on all sides you see it to-day on all sides you hear it sense it suffer it the young man's eternally jocose sexual appraisement of woman is she young is she pretty and always eternally is there any one younger is there any one prettier Sins, you ask Suddenly now he seemed perfectly willing, even anxious, to linger and talk. A sin is nothing, oftener than not, but a mere accidental, non-considered act, a yellow streak quite as exterior as a scorch of a sunbeam. And there is no sin existent that a man may not repent of, and there is no honest repentance, Eve, that a wise woman cannot make over into a basic foundation for happiness, but a trait— A congenital tendency, a yellow streak bred in the bone. Why, Eve, if a man loves, I tell you, not woman, but the pursuit of woman, so that wherever he wins, he wastes again, so that indeed at last he wins only to waste, moving eternally on, 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 from one ravaged lure to another, Eve, would I deliver over you your mother's reincarnated body to, to such as that?' oh said little eve edgarton her eyes were quite wide with horror how careful i shall have to be with henrietta eh snapped her father a ling 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 drilled the telephone from the farther side of the room impatiently edgarton came back and lifted the receiver from its hook hello he growled who what eh With quite unnecessary vehemence, he rammed the palm of his hand against the mouthpiece and glared back over his shoulder at his daughter. "'It's that—that Barton,' he said, the impudence of him. "'He wants to know if you are receiving visitors today. He wants to know if he can come up. The—' "'Yes, isn't it awful?' stammered little Eve Edgerton. Imperiously, her father turned back to the telephone ting-a-ling-ling-ling-ling chirped the bell right in his face as if he were fairly trying to bite the transmitter he thrust his lips and teeth into the mouthpiece my daughter he enunciated with extreme distinctness is feeling quite exhausted exhausted this afternoon we appreciate of course mr barton your-what hello there He interrupted himself sharply. Mr. Barton? Barton? Now what in the deuce? He called back appealingly toward the bed. Why, he's rung off, the fool. Quite accidentally, then, his glance lighted on his daughter. Why, what are you smoothing your hair for? He called out accusingly. Oh, just to put it on, acknowledged little Eve Edgerton. But what in creation are you putting on your coat for? He demanded tartly. Oh, just to smooth it acknowledged the leave edgerton with a sniff of disgust edgerton turned on his heel and strode off into his own room End of part one, chapter four